all bad things. Tragedy. Tragedies, disasters. That's bad things. Trigger warning for everything possible. What? Ahoy. <laughs> I'm Rachel. And I'm David. And this is All Bad Things. <laughs> Welcome, everybody. Welcome. Uh,. Follow us into Twitter, Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, and Twitch at All Bad Things Pod. Email us allbadthingspod at gmail.com. Join our Facebook discussion group and our Discord. Do all of those things. <coughs> and I am very close. <coughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm very close to uh, defeating Horizon Zero Dawn Forbidden West. Ah, so. so be sure to follow Twitch. Yes. For that all three glorious of you. day. Yeah. <laughs> Include a third of them are my sister. <laughs> yes. Um, we are still giving out scripts. <laughs> yes, we are. And special shout out to Alan, who requested one. Which one? So the Times Beach, Missouri. Oh, okay, yeah. That, that's mm-hmm. a. Uh, I was gonna. That's a fun one. Not really. <laughs> None of them but, are fun. But, but yeah, but you know what I mean. Yes. Um, that's Alan a di- said that's a different one. Yeah, Alan said this is the first episode he heard. So oh, okay, yeah. nice. Yeah, very cool. Um, you get a script, and you get a script. <laughs> anyone who wants one, we've got binders of them. And I pulled out the binder, <clears throat> volume one of the binder, because Stephen mentioned on our Facebook discussion. <laughs> yeah, this is this is just up to script number one hundred eleven. Just. Doesn't it look like a Bible or something? A little bit. It's our Bible. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Steven said in our Facebook discussion group today, like, oh, you know, the Andrea Doria reminds me of the Empress of Ireland. Remember how we were all like, Oh, we haven't we haven't covered two ships crashing. Didn't I say we did that? I don't know. I don't remember either. I doubt it. It sounded familiar. no, it sounded familiar. You think you would have remembered it? Possibly. Who knows? <laughs> I wouldn't. I did not remember it, but it was a collision in the Saint yes, Lawrence. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Or near the Saint Lawrence, Quebec. Uh, dear listeners, we've done so many episodes. Uh, at this point. <laughs> almost five years worth every single week. We literally have binders <clears throat> full of episodes. We do that Look do not include episodes that we've already sent out to people. Right. <laughs> Look at this, the Hamlet chicken plant fire. Remember that I one? I do. That happened in North Carolina. That was episode 55. Oh, my God. Chernobyl. Look at that. That was the 50. Mm-hmm. 50, 51, 52, and 53. Yeah. Russian bath liquid. You remember when I Sarah do. did that, that was Sarah. one? Yep. Apollo 1. I remember that one. Oh, my goodness. Look at this. Wow. Hold on. <laughs> Get this closed again. <laughs> There's our very first script. We have our very first script. That's, yeah, whoever wants it. Yeah, the... <laughs> I have. It's an outline. Or, or it's not really we, uh, a script. Or should we keep that one for ourselves? I don't know. I think I don't we should know. keep that one for you ourselves. Think we should? Yeah. So it's uh, it's not even a script. It's like more like an outline. Yeah. We write them narratively now, but one of them, I so one of the headlines is Great White. And I wrote next to it, poor man's poison, bad motley crew. <laughs> and that one spitten, bitten twice shy was a bad song, sad face. 
And that Desert Moon was an awful last song. <laughs> and there it is. <laughs> there it is. We doth. Oh. There it doth be. Yes. Ha! Huh, all right. We will not make this episode as banter filled as the last one. We understand. Nicole said something hilarious that I didn't pull up in time to remember to have, but I, I do want to quote it because I thought it was exactly correct. Okay. This is from Nicole on Twitter. Today's episode of All Bad Things was interesting because somehow a lot happened and nothing happened in the same hour. <laughs> Which I think... The nothing happened being the actual episode. Nothing happened and everything <laughs> happened. That's that's what we are. So... Very good. Shall we get back to the sinking of the Andrea Doria? We shall. Courtesy of listener Christian. And again, because <laughs> we just did this a couple days ago, mm-hmm. so thankfully my memory is fresh. Mm-hmm. So these are two ships that were well, built by... No, we have not talked about the second ship. I understand. Well, it was brought up when they were decided to build them, correct? No. This is just the Andrea Doria. What do you mean? They built another ship, though, I thought. Mm -mm. No, we only talked about the Andrea Doria. (laughs) What other ship did you think? Let me just... uh, We only got through two pages, so I can look real quick. I'm pretty sure they built another ship. Oh, no, they talked about the Cristoforo Columbus, but that has nothing to do with this story. Okay. It's not the ship that... No, we have not talked about the ship that they... But... It seems to me that they're headed on a collision course. This is a ship that Not also made... a collision made... course with wackiness. No, no sorry. Yes, no that's, wackiness. that's a mystery science theater quote. Sorry. <laughs> but this is this route, this this ship has already made 100 successful Yeah, let ventures. me see. So it's, it's, Christian but... did mention that. Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay, it was the 101st voyage. So 100 mm-hmm. successful voyages mm-hmm. on the mm-hmm. same route. Yes. So it's, you know, it's... Mm-hmm. And it went, just so that we remember, it went, it was going from Genoa, Italy, to New York, and started in Genoa, stopped in Cannes, <coughs> in France. Um, yes. And like in Gibraltar, too, or something, the, right? uh, Yeah, I think yeah. so. Oh, Ruth Roman was aboard, remember? That's right. Mm-hmm. I should have looked her up. I didn't. <laughs> anyway. Um, along with, along with uh, Richard Roman. Yes. That's right. You remembered that. Um, then they went to Naples mm-hmm. and then Gibraltar and yeah. then to New York. And there were a lot of um, emigrants from impoverished regions of southern Italy on their way to their new lives in America. They were on the tourist class. Yes, which is the bottom tier class because it was first class, cabin class, tourist which class. Which is the, uh, might as well say, like on your ticket, like the Titanic might yeah, happen right. class. <laughs> yeah. And guess it. And guess who's out? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so there were... <clears throat> oh, my goodness. I have no idea why three weeks out of this cold. Sorry. Yeah, you're not drinking Ugh. enough uh, White Claw. Yeah, that'll that's, help. That's the thing. <laughs> At this point, it might. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. So it was a total of 1706 people i think right and the the staff was almost uh, yeah, yeah, the, 2 a to crew 1 of 572 yeah mm-hmm. i remember the staff I remember was... more people boarded mm-hmm. so it had gotten um now that was before they got that was before they got to con and before they got to gibraltar so they took on let's see 48 plus 93 people in uh con and then another 65 in gibraltar oh and 744 in naples 
Or maybe that's the overall total. Anyway, there's a bunch of people on board. <laughs> we'll, just, a, we'll just start there. There's more than a few. Well, yes. We can agree on that. On Wednesday, so they had left. Let's see. They left on uh, July. F- oh, sorry. Uh, yeah, July 17th. Oh, you know what the significance of July 17th is? On July 17th. Oh, that was our very first. Yes. Yeah, 7 Our debut triple episode. Yeah. Plus a preview. Yes. Yes. Oh, someone, um, Kate from Ignorance is Bliss asking for our um, promo, which we need to do. <laughs> a promo. <laughs> yeah, one of these days. You can take the original one that we did five years ago. No, we'll record another one. <laughs> no, I know. What were you going to yes, say? That, that's, that is... That is when we were birthed into the world. Yes. <laughs> for the benefit of everybody. <laughs> and, and now we're a kindergartner. Yes. Going into kindergarten. <laughs> so on, so they, they were headed for New York now from Gibraltar. On Wednesday, 25th of July. Do people say that 25th July or 25th July or 25th of July? You know when the day comes before the month? That's how we have to do it. And... But how do you say it? Um... I normally, at this point in my mind, I'd probably say it like 25 July 22. Like just to have the, so I write it down that way, which is how you're supposed to write it down. We have to ask all our non-U.S. friends how that's pronounced. It'd be 25JUL22. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm just, Christian's putting these understandably day first, then month. And I generally tend to translate in my own head July 25th, but he put 25 July, so... I'm just well, reading that. Yeah. Or Christian put 25 July. I forgot to. I should have asked Christian pronouns. Anyway, on Wednesday, 25 July, just before noon, MS Stockholm, a passenger liner of the, no shock here, Swedish American line, departed New York Harbor on her 103rd eastbound crossing across the Atlantic to her home port of, and I bet I'm going to get this wrong. It looks like Gothenburg, Sweden, but I bet it's like Gothenburg or something like that. Sweden. Uh, and I'm guessing that Christian isn't just telling us about a random other ship for no reason. I don't think so. But I do think it's interesting that the MS Stockholm was on her 103rd trip and the other Pretty ship's close. on her 101st. Yeah. Although this is the 103rd eastbound crossing, so maybe... It, had twice as many miles. I don't know. Either way, but they're both experienced. Uh, yeah. At 12,165 tons and 160 meters or 525 feet in length, it was r- roughly half the size of the Andrea Doria, Stockholm was the smallest passenger liner on the North Atlantic run during the 50s. Doesn't sound small, but I, get, I have no sense of proportion Mm-mm, for these things. I have no frame of reference either. Yeah. Completed in 1948, Stockholm was of a much more practical design than the Andrea Doria. In addition to her practic- practicality, Stockholm was built with a reinforced ooh, reinforced bow of a heavy steel plate, giving her the ability to break through sea ice in the cold winter harbors of her homeland. Insert ominous sound. <laughs> well done, right. Christian. Yeah. So it's an icebreaker, basically. That's what it sounds like. It can be if it needs to be. Yeah, like, because of its route. Yeah. Or her route. Now I'm not even getting ship's pronouns right. (laughs) Originally built to accommodate only 395 passengers in two classes, Stockholm was designed more for comfort than for luxury. 
and opulence found aboard Andrea Doria. Remember, we looked at those mm-hmm. pictures. Because the Swedish-American line was aware that, that the... I, I have to hold it or I can't read it properly. Um, this is what people tune in for. Was aware that the age of transatlantic passenger travel was coming to an end with the rapid growth of air travel. That's true. The 50s Absolutely. is like the proliferation That's when of air that. travel on a commercial level mm-hmm. really takes off. <laughs> Pun well, intended. Uh, takes well, off. <laughs> yes, but it does. Mm-hmm. Um, civilian flights become the big, the, the big right. technology in that era. Mm-hmm. It's um, not just military applications Not anymore. at all. And a lot of people who are flying the planes and also boarding the planes mm-hmm. were in the military. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, but then it was it was also at that time, it was like you wore a suit. Like you yes, dressed, it dressed it, it all wasn't, fancy. It wasn't because it was expensive as shit. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't. I read too, and this is just spreading Reddit gossip at this point, so it may or may not be accurate, but I also read that they were price controlled. The flights were price controlled, so they had to. Co- the airlines no had to compete on amenities, which is interesting. That I don't if know If that's about. the case, but yeah, that's not. That's actually, you know, in the history, that's not surprising because they were famous for. Oh, we will cook you a steak in the air. Mm-hmm. Like we have a cigar lounge over here on a plane with like a fireplace. <laughs> Sorry, and it's like, it's like <laughs> right <laughs> fireplace. It's like, I've seen those photos. It's just that like they actually had fireplaces. Yes, that's why I'm like. I'm like <clears throat> I don't want a fireplace on a plane. I don't no. want to see flames on a plane in any... Well, we're used to the era of, like, no smoking even on right. planes. Yes. That was... You know that was allowed all over the oh, place back especially then. especially back then. Hell yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. It was like, of course you smoke on the plane. But yeah, everybody wore their smart suits, <laughs> and the ladies wore their pillbox hats and yeah. gloves, and yeah. Oh, and we're, get- we're getting on the plane. <laughs> Did everybody have a break? <laughs> like your little yes. hand motions? <laughs> yes, everybody. It did. It works so well. Everybody should have had a British accent. Yes, in the 1950s. or all oh, a transatlantic one. Yes, or a mixture of the two. Some people probably did. <laughs> yeah. Um, as a result, so as a result of air travel becoming more popular, the Swedish American line withdrew withdrew Stockholm from service in 1953 for an overhaul that included an addition to her superstructure to provide space for accommodations for an additional 153 passengers, increasing her maximum passenger capacity to 548. That's still like the size it's of the not, crew. I was going to say, yeah, yeah. This proved to be a successful move, as by 1956, the Stockholm had gained a worthy reputation on the North Atlantic. Stockholm left New York almost booked to capacity with 534 passengers and a crew of 208. They do have big crews on these ships. She was commanded by Captain Henry Gunnar Nordensen. <laughs> Harry Gunnar Nordensen. Uh, the third officer, Johan Ernst Kartsen Johansson. Yeah, like like these guys. These guys are like the grandfathers of like future NHL yes, prospects. Yes, exactly. Well, we'll see. <laughs> we'll see if they survive this. Well, I'm, no, I'm saying like they're, you they're know, right. They're yes. their generation. Yeah. Yes. Um. So, third officer Johan Ernst Kartsen Johansson was on duty on the bridge at the time of the accident. Stockholm was following her usual course east to Nantucket Lightship at a speed of about sense. yeah 18 knots or 33 kilometers per hour with clear skies cuz that that would be like a spot being like okay we're really close cuz Nantucket 
to New York City is not that far. Right. Yeah, that's is Nantucket, Massachusetts? Yes. Or? Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, so that'd be yeah. that'd be a sign of being like, okay, we're almost there. Gotcha. Now we now we need to make these arrangements. And, mm-hmm. You know, my guess was gonna my second guess was gonna be Jersey. I'm thinking Montclair. I, guess. I don't know why I'm getting Nantucket and Montclair mixed I'm, I'm, up, though. I'm whatever. never thinking of New Jersey. So. <laughs> Just <ever. laughs> Like, not in any sense, unless it's the Devils. <laughs> the hockey team. Yes. <laughs> See, I'm a South Florida snob, but you're a New York State snob. No, I'm not, because I grew up in a shitty part of New York State. <laughs> well, no, just even shitty like, parts of New York shit on Jersey. I'm like, I'm like, I know how the vibes work in certain areas. That's, mm-hmm. and I know like, you know, in in some in some places, when people answer the phone, they or look at the phone and be like, "Oh, it's a three one fiver." Oh, <laughs> that's you. Yes. No, some people answer the phone and they yeah. say, "Ahoy." I didn't realize <laughs> I didn't realize our whole area code was being dogged on until I was like twenty five. That's funny. <laughs> <laughs> Carson Johansson estimated visibility at six nautical miles, or eleven kilometers, or six point nine miles. Yeah, that's clear skies. That doesn't sound bad at all. Oh. As Stockholm, it's, it's perfect mm-hmm. conditions. Mm-hmm. Oh, and I needed to. There were pictures of just the ship itself, and I'm actually not positive. I didn't look to see if this is. I think this is the Andrea Doria, not the um, Stockholm. Well, yes, because this is more of like a cruise ship type yeah, of... Yeah, yeah, it's a large cruise ship. So yeah. I, I do believe these are the actual Andrea Doria. These are pictures for later. Mm. Um, here's another one. Works so well in an audio medium. Yes, it does. Imagine the pictures that in That might your mind. be... I betcha that is the uh, Stockholm. Probably. Doesn't yeah. that... It looks different, doesn't it? It does. That must be it. Okay. So... Um, so clear visibility as Stockholm and Andrea Doria were approaching each other head on in the heavily used shipping corridor. The westbound Andrea Doria had been traveling in heavy fog for hours. The captain had reduced speed slightly from 23 to 21.8 knots or 42.6 to 40.4 kilometers per hour, activated the ship's fog warning whistle which didn't get stuck this time. Remember when that, they were... That's right. That's, that's, my God, can you imagine that? <laughs> and had closed the watertight doors. All customary precautions while sailing sure. in such conditions. However, the eastbound Stockholm had yet to enter what was apparently the edge of a fog bank. <clears throat> Excuse me. And was seemingly unaware of it and the movement of the other ship hidden within the fog. So they, they were on a clear side, but they were about to enter patchy fog or a patch of fog that they didn't know about. The waters of the North Atlantic south of Nantucket Island are frequently the site of intermittent fog as the cold Labrador current encounters the Gulf Stream. That makes sense. As the two ships approached each other at a combined speed of 40 knots or 74 kilometers per hour, 46 miles per hour, in failing light, each was aware of the presence of another ship, but guided only by radar, they apparently misinterpreted each other's course. No radio communication was made between the two ships at first. The original inquiry established that in the critical minutes before the collision, Andrea Doria gradually steered to its left, attempting a starboard-to-starboard passing, so that would be right side-to-right side if you're facing Correct. the bow. Correct. Um, while Stockholm 
turned about 20 degrees to its right, an action intended to widen the passing distance of a port to port passing. So this... It was just, it, it was confusion between the two. Because they weren't communicating, mm-hmm. so they were just going off instinct. This is ringing a bell. Mm-hmm. And I think this is, that okay. Stephen's right, this is what happened in the Empress of Ireland, yeah. That, like, oh, are we going left or right? Le- left or right? And yeah. then they misinterpreted. Yeah, and, I mean, yeah. you do that in your car every day, like in a parking lot. Well, not every day, but sometimes, like in a parking lot with somebody. Mm-hmm. Imagine doing that. Like to go around something or whatever. doing that on the ocean. No. Like, you can't, <laughs> you can't react and, like... You have no birth no. wide enough to... Nope. Correct. Course correct, you know. Yeah, that's right. Huh. All right. In fact, they were steering toward each other, narrowing wi- rather than widening the passing distance. As a result of the extremely thick fog... Fog, not fog, fog, that enveloped Andrea Doria as the ships approached each other. The ships were quite close by the time visual contact was established. They were just, they were trying to interpret everything through radar. Mm -hmm. Nobody thought to pick up the radio and say ahoy, (laughs) I guess, (laughs) or hello, because (laughs) if we had started saying ahoy on the telephone. Yep. Maybe Um, Maybe out at sea they said ahoy. Maybe, well. Yeah. yeah, even on the telephone. Yeah. Uh, that would oh, make sense. You're still on oh, a ship. Mate. <laughs> a vasty mateys, something yes. like that. <laughs> Ahoy, Henrik. <laughs> Jan, uh, Jan Hansen. I, that guy. I shouldn't make fun yes, of, him. of beautiful uh, Nordic names. Anyway, so by by then, by the time they had clo- a visual contact, the crews realized that they were on a collision course, Jesus but despite last-minute maneuvers, they could not avoid the collision. Not. You can't move a no. giant boat in, yeah, in record time. All like of a that. sudden. Like you, you can't. There's no sudden maneuver. No. <laughs> These are all not those, little motorboats. All those maneuvers yeah. are planned like yes. well ahead of time. Mm-hmm. They have to be. In the last moments before impact, Stockholm turned hard to starboard or right Mm -hmm. and was in the process of reversing her propellers attempting to stop correct yeah andrea doria or at least at the or at the very least slow it down enough so that well it's the brakes right yeah Yeah. so the impact is bad essentially andrea doria remaining at her cruising speed of almost 22 knots or 41 kilometers per hour 25 miles per hour Engaged in a hard turn to port or left, right her captain it. hoping to outrun the collision, <clears throat> but again, misinterpreting each other's movements, around 11.10 p.m., the two ships collided. Jesus Stockholm striking the side of Andrea Doria. Man. While Andrea Doria and Stockholm collided at almost a 90 degree angle. That's f- yeah. And it's an ice bre- or capable of breaking ice with this well, reinforced... Bow. But it's just these things are literally <clears throat> slicing right into each mm-hmm. other, and no, the Stockholm is slicing right into. But again, but they're they're what I mean is they're meshing together. Well, pretty, pretty much one is t-boning the other. Yes, yeah. mm-hmm. and like we talked about in the last episode, like these aren't car accidents. Like these no. are way more violent, even just regular boats. Well, it's just so. Big. Yes. Everything involved is so big, yes. and these speeds and sound the slow as anything. But they're not for a not ship for that a ship. size. Yeah, exactly, no. exactly. So there are likely going to be people caught up in what just happened. Well, including people who direct impact. Mm-hmm. Not to mention whatever is going to happen with drownings and such. Yeah. I imagine this is not fun. No, 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 no. It's all bad things after all. Correct. 
So Stockholm's sharply raked, ice-breaking prow pierced Andrea Doria's starboard side about one-third of her length from the bow. It penetrated the hull to a depth of nearly 40 feet, or 12 meters, and the keel. Below the waterline, five fuel tanks on Andrea Doria's starboard side were torn open, and they filled with thousands of tons of seawater. Not to mention poured who knows how much gas into the ocean. And not to mention losing that fuel. Yes, so now they, right. So now they can't likely get out of a situation that they've found themselves in. They're not necessarily hugely out to sea. No. But still. But this is, you don't want this happening in Anywhere. any scenario. No, no, no. Even if you're fucking 50 feet away from the dock, you don't right. want this happening. Right. Well, that's like the um, Costa Concordia, which mm-hmm. is actually really close to yes. shore comparatively. Yes. But yeah, yeah, it's, that doesn't mean it's easy. They are they're in a spot where they're close enough where if they're in trouble, like there are people close enough to like to coast get to guard them. sort of situation. Yes, yeah, definitely, mm-hmm. definitely around New York City, always. Well, and Nantucket's a popular always coast guard. Those are two major. Yeah. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. Those are those are some seas you want to protect. Right. So, yeah. Yeah, on the coast, yeah. Post-war, no mm-hmm. less, yeah. Meanwhile, air was trapped in the five empty tanks on the port side, causing them to float more, more readily, contributing to a severe list. Remember the Andrea yes, Doria tended had a problem to list? with that the whole 28 time. 28 degrees, yep. The ship's large fuel tanks were mostly empty at the time of the collision since the ship was nearing the end of her voyage, Which worsening the list. Which is also bad, because we mm-hmm. learned in the last episode when the fuel tanks are almost empty, that's when it starts to list. Yes, mm-hmm. Because it's all lightening that up that... Because all that weight's gone. Yep. Mm-hmm. While the collision itself penetrated only one of Andrea Doria's watertight compartments, the severe list would gradually pull the tops of the bulkheads along the starboard side below the level of the water. So it didn't... Basically, it didn't matter. Mm-hmm. Allowing seawater to flow down corridors, down stairwells, and any other way it could find, which is what water does. It finds... It's, it's like oxygen or... Does oxygen? What am I trying to compare it to? Anyway, yes, it finds viruses. <laughs> Maybe Find, finds a way. Maybe, but that's how rivers flow. Is sure. water's finding gravity, basically, um, and in any other way, it could find into the next compartment in line. The collision had also torn into an access tunnel running from the generator room, which is in the compartment directly aft behind. I think aft is behind, um, of where the collision had happened to a small room at the forward end of the tank compartment containing the controls for the tank pumps. But a fatal flaw in Andrea Doria's design existed as at the point where the tunnel went through the bulkhead separating the two compartments, no watertight door was present. Yeah, I was just going to say, that's a freaking, you go down that thing. Good luck. Like, why do you need a watertight door? I wonder. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, uh, they, they have that connection. They, they're like, we need the connection between these two rooms. They had that correct. They had that part right. <laughs> but they forgot about the... Oh, the watertight part. Uh, yeah, that one. The ceiling part. Yeah. Ceiling of the door. Because if you need to move between those two departments very quickly, mm-hmm. it's very likely that a crash of some sort has just happened. Yeah, and you want to be and able you want to pull to be, it shut behind you. And you want you. it to be watertight mm-hmm. so that you can move between mm-hmm. two different operations. In, in, Sounds like it. But, again. Yep. Yeah. Just a uh, mi- just, you just know, minor flaw. Just no big deal. Little thing. 
little thing. And it sounds like it wasn't cutting corners even. It was just a bad design. It was just like, didn't, didn't think of it. Didn't think of they it. They thought of the thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was like when you thought of the car. They didn't think of the seatbelts right away. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like they you had can't to, think of everything they had, they had when you invent right. a thing. They had to come around on that. <laughs> but I think ships had existed quite some time. They had. That is true. Um, I was just giving an obvious. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I've thought of that. Like people who are architects and engineers and stuff, their designs, their approvals, everything, like people's lives depend on them. I don't think take, I could do that. And it has to take so many different things into account. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like almost is, an, which again, an exhaustive list. Is how it should be. Yes. Yes. You don't want somebody just, oh, we'll just put up this type of building and no. see how it turns out. You know, because no. we, we've seen how that turns out. Yes. Um, but, but at the same it time. It doesn't make it easy. No. Yeah. Makes it really, really hard, actually. Yeah. That's what she said. This allowed. <laughs> Sorry, I was just trying to figure out a way to move on. <clears throat> A segue, if you will. A terrible segue. <laughs> this allowed the generator room to flood rapidly. The generator room, that's not good. Contributing to not only an increase in flooding, but also to a loss of electricity. And probably also an increase in water pressure as the thing is starting to probably starting to sink. Yeah, I could, I could see that. Like that's, um, that's, not, that's not fun to deal with either because a ship of this size, even if you're outside of it, <clears throat> could just... Like, vortex a little bit. Pull you right back down. Did you ever, when you were a kid, like, in the bath, and, you know, your mom gives you, like, little plastic cups and oh, things yeah, to cyclone? play? Sure. Well, yeah, or you, like, you set the bottom of, a like, an empty plastic cup on the top of water yeah. in the bath, and then you, like, gradually pull it down, and then it just goes yeah. into the cup. Yeah. yeah it's like a... That's it's, what this... Yeah. It's a... Yeah, it's a... Except much more terrifying. It's an elementary level of... Physics or... Right. Yeah. This is how it works. Now, mm-hmm. imagine doing that... With 22,000 tons and uh, 1,500 people on board. That same, you know, reaction. Well, it's at this point, it's a total of there's like 1,700 people on Andrea Doria and like 800 people or something on the Stockholm. So we're talking about like a couple thousand, like 2,500 people, something like that. Initial radio. I know. It's not going to end well. Or Christian probably wouldn't have bothered to write it. <laughs> Unless it was a miracle said. Um, if it wasn't horrible, it'd be on somebody else's show. That's right. Initial radio distress calls were sent out by each ship. And in that manner, they learned each other's identities. They learned each other. They learned what ship it was based on that ship calling for SOS, basically. Sure. Soon afterward, the messages were received by numerous radio and Coast Guard stations along the New England coast, and the world soon became aware that two large ocean liners had collided. Yeah, and I'm guessing they they got those distress calls, like I said before, like pretty much fucking right pretty away. Pretty quick, yeah, because they're just they're they're, they're, they're close. close. To, they're close to two major metropolitan centers. I guess so. it could have been worse than that. It could have happened in the middle of the Atlantic. Oh, if it happened in the middle of the Atlantic, they're they're fucking. But it was done. probably way less likely to happen in the middle of the Atlantic. I mean, you know, who knows? like this is where they're going in and coming out, and the yeah. Gulf Stream is creating this fog and all that. At that point in time, like you're not getting to the middle of the Atlantic very quickly. You can Mm-mm. do that. You can do that today. But where they are, they're because they're so close to the coast. You can get there and like, in good good time to rescue people. You know what I mean? Well, they had helicopters and stuff. Back I understand, then, but, but not, not but for not like what they fucking have now. People, hell no. no, and not like what they have now. Yeah, yeah. Oof. 
Making me rethink so, yeah. my transatlantic cruise dreams. No. <laughs> Never particularly so, had any, but... So the main advantage they have where this crash takes it's, place is that it's yeah, so, close so close to where there's going to be... Highly populated area. There's going to be Coast Guard. There's uh-huh. going to be Navy. Uh-huh. There's going to be, you know, all these resources to... And really good chowder, you know. That too. <laughs> is that the red or the white? <laughs> um, Manhattan is red. Correct. And uh, Mass... Mass is white. Yeah, mm-hmm. I prefer, you know I prefer what? The white. Yes, likewise. I mean, I I have not eaten chowder of any type for uh, over twelve years, but I do remember trying red chowder and not yeah, it's liking not, it. Yeah, it's tomato based. It's just a little different. It's, it's okay. I just prefer the. the I white. only. I'm pretty sure I only. No, no, no. That's not true. Once when I was in Boston, I did actually have. I went to Legal Seafood and had actual. New England clam chowder. Otherwise, it was the Campbell's in a can. When you get the grit, because they don't really... (laughs) I remember asking my mom, like, why is it kind of gritty? And she's like, well, it's sand. They don't rinse the clams very well. It's like, like, yeah. And it, like, just came out of the ocean. Or not not the canned one, where you went. Oh, the legal seafood. Yes. No, there was no grit in legal seafood. Oh, really? Oh, okay. No, 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 that was... that's what you meant. No, because they properly... Prepared it. This is Campbell's. They just like thought, did whatever. You know, I no, know. no, the legal yeah. seafood one was great. Interesting. No issues. Yeah. A little chowder with a uh, oyster crackers. Oh, you have to. Yeah. Yep. Anyway. Well, I guess we better get back to this horrible thing. <laughs> I, I guess <laughs> this we will. horrible disaster. Immediately after the collision, Andrea Doria began to take on water. No shock there, and started to list severely to starboard. Sure. That's right, because the port side was. The one it's, that was lighter, the fuel tanks were empty. Even kind of before this crash even happens, it, had it, a already, tendency it already has yes. that disadvantage. <clears throat> so this mm-hmm. certainly isn't making it any better and probably making no. it a fucking hell of a lot worse. Within minutes, the list was at least 18 degrees. That's fucking, yeah. That's not steep. Good. It's not good. After the ships separated, I wonder if that just like happened by, well, or impact, probably. like they bounced and back, then, rebound? Yes. And then like untangled. Mm-hmm. But they're both in fucking rough shape. I imagine. Well, yeah. I imagine it'll be interesting to hear what happens to the Stockholm because the Stockholm yeah. had a reinforced bow. So I wonder if it got damaged or if it kind of if it could break ice. And the uh, the Andrea Doria had a yeah like it had an or I thought the Andrea Doria had the icebreaker. No, that, no, was, no, the that was the Stockholm. Oh my bad. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. So no, the Andrea Doria is the one that got t-boned. So correct. it's not doing so great at this yeah. point. After the ships separated, Captain Kalami, Col- uh, I think. I thought you were going to say Captain Columbus. Captain Columbus. <laughs> Captain, Captain Columbus of the Columbuses. Things could have been they, a they, whole lot they, worse they, if fucking they, Columbus they are, was involved. They are like coming this. from Italy. <laughs> <laughs> Captain Kalami quickly brought the engine controls to all stops. So they just stopped the engines. One of the watertight doors to the engine room may have been missing. Though this issue was later determined to be moot. Okay, so I guess it didn't matter. Much more importantly, however, crucial stability was lost by the earlier failure during routine operations to ballast the mostly empty fuel tanks as the builders had specified. 
Okay, I'm trying to break well, that down. It, it essentially means... Ballast? It means they couldn't get enough like, pressure to stay afloat. Is essentially okay. what that means. Okay. Yeah. Um, filling the tanks with seawater as the fuel was emptied would have resulted in more costly procedures to yep. refuel when the port was reached. Okay, gotcha. It was so, also a problem with, <coughs> with the, the cost of Concordia. They oh, the okay, problem. okay. So basically, it would have balanced things out it, it to refill the fuel tanks with it water. It would have given... A lot of people, a lot more time to, you know what I mean, to get shit straightened out a little bit It would bit have more. helped the stability issue during this crash. That, that too. But it was a lot, a big pain in the ass when you had to go to refuel because you yep. had to empty it and then, okay, I gotcha. But it's it's essentially, it's a it's a, a support mechanism in the case of an emergency. Okay. Like you want that ballast point to, to be pressured enough to keep you afloat for a little bit. Okay. You know, not forever. Like, and, and in enough time to where other people can get to you. Okay. My only uh, frame of reference to Ballast Point is the brewery. Oh, the beer, so. yes. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> I wasn't even thinking of that. Owing to the immediate rush of seawater flooding the starboard tanks, and because the port tanks had emptied during the crossing, the list was greater than would otherwise have been the case. As the list increased over the next few minutes to 20 degrees or more, Kalami realized that no hope would have was left for his ship unless the list could be corrected. I guess it's like, everybody run onto the port side, right? Um, in the engine room, engineers attempted to pump water out of the flooding starboard tanks, but to no avail. Only a small amount of fuel remained in the intakes to pump seawater into the port tanks were now high out of the water, making any attempt to level the ship futile. Yeah. Do you say is... futile or futile? Futile in, in, in that spelling. Yes. I say futile. No, futile. Futile. Do you say fragile Fu- or fragile? Uh, I only say fragile. <laughs> if you were saying unironically. <laughs> but yes, but fragile. Fragile, yeah. yes. Futile, futile. 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 Futile to me means like an economic F-E-U-D-A-L. system. F-E-U-D-A-L. Yes. Yep. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Gotcha. Which we're getting right back into. <laughs> Aboard Stockholm. Oh, yeah. There's a whole other ship. Yeah. Whoa, roughly 30 feet. another emergency going on. Yes. Roughly 30 feet or 10 meters of her bow had been crushed and torn away. Okay. That's so I thought good. she had maybe fared better. I'm not so sure anymore. Initially, the ship was dangerously down by the bow. Sure. But emptying the freshwater tank soon raised the bow to within four inches or 10 centimeters of normal. So try, they had... Try to level it out. They were able to level it, it sounds mm-hmm. like. A quick survey determined that the major damage did not extend aft beyond the bulkhead between the first and second watertight compartments. Thus, despite being down at the bow, so like bowing down, I guess, like tipping down a little at the front... And having her first watertight compartment flooded, the ship was soon determined to be stable and in no imminent danger of sinking. No shit. So Stockholm did pretty good. I'm guessing all the deaths are going to be on Andrea Doria then. I hope they're... Some maybe on impact on the... I love speculating about something that's sitting in my hands to read. I know. Um, But I wonder if they're able to take on some of the people... Without endangering probably you know, not the ship. because they're in an emergency too. They are in an emergency. People are they're, they're trying still to get in a disabled ship. Yeah. Right, and they're trying to get when the Coast Guard and the Navy shows up, they're going to be trying to get people off. Yes, not, not mm-hmm. add more people to it. Yes, that's yeah. true. On Andrea Doria, the decision to abandon ship was made within thirty minutes of impact. Enough lifeboats for all the past. Oh, remember we talked about that before. All the passengers and crew were positioned on each side of the boat deck. 
Procedures called for lowering the lifeboats to be fastened alongside the glass-enclosed promenade deck, one deck below, where evacuees could step out of windows directly into the boats, which would then be lowered down to sea. Okay. Um, I don't remember that from my muster drill on a cruise, but it's interesting. But wasn't the issue with Costa Concordia, which sounds like it'll be an issue here, that like half the exactly half the light boats so. aren't available because aren't, they're well, aren't accessible, right? Because they're lifted out of the water. That's what it, that would be my guess from the I list. Guess, yeah, I guess we'll see. However, it was soon determined that half of the lifeboats, those right. on the port side, yeah. were unlaunchable due to the severe list. Which left them high in the air. Well, there we yeah. go. There. And it's not something you can just. All right, everybody, sit in this. We're just gonna <laughs> shove you off, and you're gonna drop no. eighty feet into the ocean. Mm-mm. Like, yeah. Number one, the turnout of that wouldn't be good, and number two, Mm-mm. like nobody's signing up for that. Right. Who would like in, to volunteer in, to in, go in to any, the other side in any circumstance? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Until it's clear that okay, if, on my absolute last option, I'll try it. Like if it's I'm a sure death or a possible death, yeah, that, I'll go that, with the possible death. Yeah. <laughs> oh God. Um, to make matters worse, that's not anything that's, that we want to hear right now. Yeah. The list was also complicated. The list also complicated normal lifeboat procedures on the starboard side. Well, yeah, that would make sense. Instead of loading lifeboats at the side of the promenade deck and then lowering them into the water, it would be necessary to lower the boats empty and somehow get exactly. evacuees down to the exterior of the ship to water level to board. Yeah, because they're also having to launch these at an, an angle, angle themselves. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. you can't have anybody in them before mm-hmm. they launch. You literally just, let's get them in the water. And then get people in there somehow. And then get people in them. That's the mm-hmm. only, that's, yeah, this is just not good. This was eventually accomplished through ropes and Jacob's ladders, which are hanging mm-hmm. rope ladders. In fear of causing a panic and stampeding of the starboard lifeboats, Captain Kalami decided against giving the order to abandon ship until help arrived. Hmm. I mean, I get the idea of, like, because stampedes, as we know, can be a secondary disaster to a lot of primary disasters. Um, He's like, these people are at least in a spot. We're close enough to a spot where people are trying to get to us, and we know that. Hopefully, they'll get here in time. If they don't, it's worth mm. letting the other people get out, at least. You know? They're, yeah. I think that's the, that's, it, the, that's, the, that's the decision you're making. Yeah. In the meantime, second officer Guido Badano, <laughs> I think he's Italian. <laughs> Not at all. Uh, made announcements over... You can't tell if he's... <laughs> Genoa Italian or is he New York Italian? You know, my cousin. Oh, that's my grandpa used to say that all the time. He probably still does. He's like, um, he joke like, uh, and you know, if he doesn't, uh, if he doesn't cooperate, I'm going to send my cousin Guido over there. <laughs> my grandpa was born in Brooklyn. He so, was. That's true. Know, there is that. <laughs> he himself is not Italian, but. So second officer Guido Badano made announcements over the loudspeaker system instructing passengers to put on their life belts and go to their designated muster stations. Correct. A distressed message was relayed to other ships by radio, making it clear that additional lifeboats were urgently needed. Okay, so maybe they can get assistance. So we're at the we're at the point it's like at the very least you need your life vest on. Yeah. I mean, yes, and yes. Yes, you do. So that's that's a good Although, you know what? That's a good non-emergency. Keep people at, like, okay. I kind of feel like if I... Because I forget 
if you have like actual accessibility like in cabin to a life vest in a on a I'm cruise sure or do. if I'm sure you do. Or, or or if you need to go to your muster station first. I forget. I'm going to guess it's probably both. I I don't remember. Yeah. But if I'm listing 20 degrees, I'm already putting on <laughs> Right. I'll be the one idiot just running a, around just with a, a break life a fall jacket. if need be. Yeah, that's that's true. <laughs> I mean, really. Mhm. <laughs> a distress message was relayed by other ships or sorry, two other ships by radio, making it clear that additional lifeboats were urgently needed. Sorry, I already said that. The first ship to respond to Andrea Doria's distress call was the 120-meter or 390-foot freighter Cape Ann of the United Fruit Company, which was returning to the United States after a trip to Bremerhaven, Germany. Upon receiving... Good fruit. <laughs> good German fruit, that's right. Yeah, have you ever heard the Black Forest? The cherry, all the cherries come from there, and the chocolate. Upon receiving the, me- <laughs> I know that is true. Upon receiving the message from the stricken Andrea Doria, Captain Joseph Boyd immediately set course for the site of the collision. I like these stories of like people. Yeah, we're gonna go help. You well, know, it's it's <clears throat> nice. Part of it is also your training. Like, and I think yeah, I think in these types of emergencies, like your training just kicks in. It's like we have to do these things. Hopefully, we'll arrive at these things, but we have to do these things first. Well, but assisting, you know, that's nice. It's nice that that's the norm, kind of, you know. Because these are both civilian crafts. Like, it's not... Yes. Uh Uh-huh. These are not military ships. No. Mm -mm. But, again, like we said, wouldn't be at all shocking if they had all served in the military. Because that was, like, ten years ago. Every man... At this point. Yeah, every man. I'm guessing nine out of ten men on each ship served in the military. Well, and these are, uh, well, the United Fruit Company ship was from the U.S., but the other ship was from Europe. So, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And still lots of, obviously, lots of Americans served as well. Um, With a crew of 44 aboard and only two 40-person lifeboats, the assistance Cape Ann could offer was limited. But within minutes, she was joined by other ships heeding the distress call. The U.S. Navy transport USNS Private William H. Thomas en route to New York from Livorno, Italy, with 214 troops and dependents, also responded to the signal and made immediate progress toward the site. That's another thing I didn't think about. Mm-hmm. Obviously, because these are two major metropolitan areas, there's going to be other ships. Yeah, they're like are, shipyards. Yeah, that mm-hmm. are going to be out and like waiting to dock, or like, or we're going to chill out here for a little or bit, or getting and, ready to launch or whatever. And yep. if a uh-huh. distress call comes out, they can be like, okay, well, we can get here in the immediate. Right. Like the professionals can come later. We'll take care of. Our, we right. can take care of like the minor stuff now. The the worst that happens is we get there and our help isn't needed. Like we exactly. just, we just is, make sure we don't no, crash into anybody. That's the best thing. That's the best possible scenario. <laughs> right. That's true. That's that is the best possible scenario. <laughs> yes. You're right. You're right. Her captain, John Shea, was placed in charge of the rescue operations by the US Navy. Wow. And readily ordered his Oh, that's right, because he this is a US Navy transport ship anyway. And ordered his crew to prepare their eight usable lifeboats. Also joining the rescue were the U.S. Navy destroyer escort, USS Edward H. Allen. 81 kilometers or 51 miles east of the collision site, the French line's SS Ile de France was eastbound from New York en route to her home port of Le Havre, France. I didn't know it. I seemed all of that like that. With 940 passengers and a crew of 826 aboard. 
at 44,500 tons and 225 meters or 739 feet in length, the 30-year-old luxury liner was among the largest passenger liners on the North Atlantic run. On that voyage, having left New York the same day as Stockholm, she was under the command of Captain Raoul de Bichon. Sorry, Boudon. I was thinking Joel Robichon. That's not, he's a cook. He's a chef. Raoul de Boudon, Boudon, a well-respected veteran of the seas who had served the French line for 35 years. Upon hearing of the collision and the distress call, de Boudon was at first skeptical of the thought of a modern ship like Andrea Doria actually foundering and knew that if he did steer back to the collision site, only to find that Ile de France was not needed, it would mean having to return to New York to refuel and delaying her passengers, which could have been a financial disaster for the French line. At the same time, he knew that if his services were needed, the French line would not question his actions in that case. So Captain Dubedon tried to contact Andrea Doria to learn more about the situation, which was unsuccessful, but after contacting Stockholm, Cape Ann, and Thomas, he quickly realized the severity of the situation and that the lives of over 1,600 people were at risk. He quickly turned Ile-de-France around and set a direct course for the stricken Andrea Doria. Very good. Very nice. Choosing lives over capitalism. Yep. Well done, Sir Captain Dubedon. 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 I like that. On board Andrea Doria, the launching of the eight usable lifeboats on the starboard side was yet another calamity of the night. Oh, that's right. This is like almost midnight at this point. Yes. As many which, of the which makes a rescue even harder. Yes. As many of the boats left Andrea Doria only partially loaded with about 200 panicked crewmen and very few passengers. Ooh. That's yeah. While other ships were near other ships nearby were en route. Captain Nordenson of Stockholm, having determined that his ship was not in any imminent danger of sinking, after being assured of the safety of his mostly sleeping passengers, sent some of his lifeboats to supplement the starboard boats from the Andrea Doria. In the first hours, many survivors transported by lifeboats from both ships were taken aboard the Stockholm. Okay, I was wondering about that. Unlike the Titanic tragedy 44 years earlier, uh several other non-passenger ships that heard Andrea Doria's SOS signal steamed as fast as they could, some eventually making it to the scene. Radio communications included relays from the other ships as Andrea Doria's radios had limited range. I don't know why I just suddenly got very scared because of, like, where the computer is now that, like, we hadn't been recorded this whole time. (laughs) I'm looking at it. Thank you. (laughs) Uh, The United States Coast Guard from New York City also coordinated on land. Arriving at the scene less than three hours after the collision, as he neared, Captain Duboudon, Duboudon, became concerned about navigating his huge ship safely between the two damaged liners, other responding vessels, lifeboats, and possibly even people in the water. Yeah, but you would need to be careful about that. Then, just as Ile de France arrived, the fog lifted, and he was able to... Oh, this was all happening in the fog, too. He was able to position his ship in such a way that the starboard side of Andrea Doria was somewhat sheltered. He ordered all exterior lights of Ile de France to be turned on. Ile de France managed to rescue the bulk of the remaining passengers by shuttling its ten lifeboats back and forth to Andrea Doria. Nice. And receiving lifeboat loads from those of the other ships already at the scene, as well as the starboard boats from Andrea Doria. 
Some passengers on Ile de France gave up their cabins to be used by the wet and tired survivors. That's so sweet. That's so nice. So decent. Many other acts of kindness were reported by grateful survivors. That's well done, 1950s people. Very good. That's what I'm saying. Like in the in the moment of a tragedy, something like that. You know, people. I think for the most part, you sure people's hope. Yeah. best instincts take mm-hmm. over. Mm-hmm. You know, hey, we were sleeping through this thing. These people are soaking wet. Let's give them a bed to right recover. And... Like towels to dry right. off, some a shower food, to take. You know, yeah, some water. You know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In all, 1,663 passengers and crew had been rescued from Andrea Doria. The badly damaged Stockholm, through the use of both her own lifeboats and those from the stricken Andrea Doria, took on a total of 545 survivors. And that's what I was completely wrong about. Mm-hmm. I was like, there's no yeah. way they're putting more people on the ship. I guess they but... were okay enough, and then they could off board them because, to other ships. Yeah. Because they figured out a way to balance out the ship. It was just like... right. For the most part, we're good. We can we're take sure on... a hell of a lot better than what they're on. Right. So we can take on people for now. They'll get off later. And I, I yeah, I didn't first expect of, that at all. First off, it's like we gotta get everybody who's in danger of drowning out of yeah. being in danger of drowning or hypothermia or whatever. And or, then or we'll danger, deal from there. Danger of being fucking run over by a ship. Yeah, because I mean, this is in they the were middle saying of the that they were worried in, about. Yeah, mm-hmm. and the fog was just mm-hmm. lifting, and mm-hmm. yeah. Yep. So five hundred forty. Horrible would that be? Right. So uh, the Stockholm took on five hundred forty-five survivors, of whom two hundred thirty-four were crew members from the Andrea Doria. That's like half of the people there. One hundred twenty-nine survivors had been rescued by Cape Ann. One hundred fifty-nine by Private William H. Thomas. Seventy-seven by Edward H. Allen, including Captain Kalami and his officers, and one very fortunate American sailor who slept through the entire collision and evacuation. <laughs> had been lucky enough to be rescued from the abandoned sinking liner by the tanker Robert E. Hopkins. <laughs> He's probably like, you know, my superpower is that I can sleep through anything. Sleep through and it. this is like the one time you don't want that superpower, you know. Ile de France undoubtedly played the largest role in the rescue, having taken on a total of 753 survivors. Once the evacuation was complete, Captain Kalami of Andrea Doria shifted his attention to the possibility of towing the ship to shallow water. I guess so. Like, once the people are off and you've got everyone you, you can... Gotta get the, <clears throat> you, got, you have to recover the ship somehow. You, you want to not wreck the ship, mm-hmm. right? However, it was clear to those watching helplessly at the scene that the stricken ocean liner was doomed. And that's what these pictures are. I was just yeah. going to say, this, this thing, this thing this is thing fucking is going doomed. down. This is doomed. Yeah, because, I mean, it's... Again, it already has a listing problem. It's severely damaged. Oh, I'm pretty sure that's just the water. That is that is where it, it that just is sunk. it going into the Atlantic Ocean, and we never see it again. I guess I, we'll see if we hear and about the shipwreck. The, uh, that that's the like that's a, the Stockholm, yeah. Yeah, that's crazy. Wow. But again, what did, what did it look like? What are you saying it looked like? It almost looked like the end of like. Like if you're tearing off cardboard and there's that corrugated, yes, it looks corrugated. Yes. You're right. Yeah, it does. It kind of does. Maybe it is. It could it be corrugated m- it steel. Might be, it might be designed that way. Yeah. yeah, yeah, to take impact or something. Yeah. After all the survivors had been transferred onto various rescue ships bound for New York, Andrea Doria's remaining crew began to disembark, forced to abandon the ship. By 9 a.m., even Captain Kalame was in a rescue boat. 
Oh, okay. So he was still on, like, he was still on the boat. Okay, good for him. That's, he was he doing up, the he down with up the ship the oath. thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, the sinking began at 9.45 a.m. Wow, which is like 10 hours after, 10 and a half hours. A yeah. It takes a long time. And by 10 that morning, Andrea Doria was on its side at a right angle to the sea. The starboard side dipped into the ocean and the three swimming pools were seen refilling with water. As the bow slid under, the stern rose slightly and the port propeller and shaft became visible. As the port side slipped below the waves, some of the unused lifeboats snapped free of their davits and floated upside down in a row. It was recorded that Andrea Doria finally sank bow first 10 hours after the collision at 10.09 a.m. on the 26th of July, 1956. The ship had drifted 1.58 nautical miles or 2.93 kilometers from the point of the collision in those 10 hours. So it's kind of moving mm-hmm. along. Aerial photography of the stricken ocean liner capsizing and sinking won a Pulitzer Prize in 1957 for Harry A. Trask of the Boston Traveler newspaper. So I guess that's what those mm-hmm. those papers were. I mean, they were. it sums it up. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it did. It's on its side. Now it's sinking. Now it's gone. It was like one... Two, three, four. Okay. Yeah. Because of the scattering of Andrea Doria passengers and crew among the various... So we're getting in the casualties. Among the various rescue vessels, some families were separated during the collision and rescue. It was not clear who was where and whether some persons had survived until after all the ships with survivors arrived in New York. In all, six different ships had participated in the rescue of the passengers and crew of the Andrew Doria, including the heavily damaged Stockholm, which was able to steam back to New York under its own oh, power. Shit. Really? With the U.S. Coast Guard escort, but arrived later than the other ships. Hey, it arrived. <laughs> That's impressive. It is. The area of Andrea Doria's hull where Stockholm's bow penetrated encompassed five passenger decks. Ooh. And this is at night, so everybody's like in bed. Uh, On the uppermost of these decks, the upper deck, at least eight first-class cabins were destroyed. In all, six first-class passengers lost their lives. Mm. In cabin 46, Colonel Walter Carlin had been in the bathroom brushing his teeth at the time of the collision and miraculously survived while his wife, Jeanette, was killed. That'd be Mm, horrifying. Because then you're like trying to save yourself. Wow. You just hope your body, your mind and and your body are just going in complete shock. Yeah. 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 You're just reacting. Hopefully. That's like, there are times when you need your body to take over and your brain to shut down. Mm -hmm. And hopefully that's what happened. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Camille Kianfara, a longtime foreign correspondent for the New York Times, his wife Jane, their eight-year-old daughter Joan, and 14-year-old Linda Morgan, Jane's daughter from her previous marriage to American journalist Edward P. Morgan. Uh, Joan was killed instantly while Camille died from severe injuries moments after the collision. These are like impact injuries on a fucking ship. Ugh. Uh, That's what I'm saying. Like a a ship collision is fucking violent. Mm Mm-hmm. Oh. Wow. Jane was seriously injured but was rescued by some other passengers, among them Dr. T-H-U-R-E. Do you think that's Thor or Tor? Thor is what I would say. Peterson, yeah. Thor. Who had been next door in cabin 56. 
He sustained only minor injuries while his wife Martha was gravely wounded and was trapped along with Jane Chianfara, or Chianfara. After a long struggle to free her, largely on the part of her husband, Martha succumbed to her injuries a few hours after the collision. One deck... Can you imagine having to leave somebody? Oh, One deck below on the foyer deck near the first class entrance, Ferdinand Melli Thiriot, circulation director of the San Francisco Chronicle, along with his wife Frances, whose grandson is the actor Max Thiriot, who is in Bates Motel. The series. The series? I yeah. Um, and then Christian says, fun series. Crazy weird. <laughs> I heard it was good. Yeah. Were killed as their suite was in direct line of Stockholm's bow. That's like a... Yeah, that's... It's a lottery you don't want to win. Uh-uh. Their 13-year-old son, Peter, who occupied a cabin further down the corridor, survived. Among the most... Uh, among the most heart-rending of the losses, because apparently those weren't it, Maria Sergio and her four children, 13-year-old Giuseppe, 10-year-old Anna Maria, 7-year-old Domenica, and 4-year-old Rocco, who occupied a cabin on the... So, can I just say, like, a 4-year-old named Rocco is fabulous. Anyway, who occupied a cabin on the starboard side of sea deck that was in direct line of the collision. She was traveling aboard Andrea Doria with her children on her way to South Bend, Indiana where her husband, Ross Sergio, and their 17-year-old son, Anthony, were waiting for them. Anthony Sergio had, in fact, sailed to the United States from Italy aboard Andrea Doria the previous April. Also traveling with them were Maria's sister, Margaret, and her husband, Paul Sergio, who also happened to be Ross Sergio's brother. Huh, okay. Paul and Margaret had emigrated to the U.S. prior to the voyage and had returned to Italy for a visit to accompany Maria and the children back to Indiana. Mm. Both Paul and Margaret survived the sinking, and for years after the disaster, Paul was haunted by the memory of his four-year-old nephew, Rocco, the youngest of his brother's children, who just hours prior to the collision had asked if he could spend the night with his uncle. Yeah, that's... I'm watching that. No, I know. I'm just, yeah. I'm just sad now. It is. That's pretty. And this bad. is really depressing. Is that something you don't get over? No, no. And it's nobody. Well, huh. it really wasn't even anybody's no, fault. It's just, it was just fucking a... 1950s and fog and shit and radar in its infancy. Yeah. Ships kind of knowing what to do based on how they signal with each other and like right, none of those, like... right. So and it's, both it's captains made good choices after the wreck, you know, yes. like they, uh, the captain That's of what Andrea I was Doria. For. Yeah, he did not abandon ship. He no. made sure everybody got off. Um, the Stockholm captain was like taking people, like they. It was all hands on deck. It, it was, uh, yeah, quite literally. Yeah, and even other ships showed yes. up to. Uh huh. Yep, the correct response. Exactly. Yes. Mm-hmm. In addition to the lives lost in the collision, three more of Andrea Doria's passengers died from injuries and ailments that occurred sure. during and after the evacuation. Yeah, because, like, being rescued, you're not trying to, like, oh, let's make sure not to bump or scrape anybody. You know, it's like, no fucking get people out as roughly as you have to. And there is a chance that somebody may mm-hmm. get hurt from that. So... Um, Norma DeSandro, a four-year-old Italian girl traveling in tourist class with her parents, Tullio and Filomena DeSandro, was dropped on her head into a lifeboat by her panicked father. 
She was taken to Stockholm, the Stockholm and subsequently airlifted to Brighton Marine Hospital in, Bar- in Boston, where she died from a fractured skull without ever regaining mm. consciousness. Oh, my God. Her poor dad. Though, hopefully, he came to realize, like, either she was going to die or I was going to put her in that lifeboat and she may have lived. Like, again, yeah. one of those, either you're definitely going to die with this or you may survive with this. Like, you have to make the may survive choice. That's all doesn't always work out Mm -mm. carl uh waters a businessman from you may have to help me with this mansican new york i've never heard of it i don't know manaskin manaskin m-a-n-a-s-q-u-a-n anyway new york oh new jersey (laughs) i didn't read the next line (laughs) new jersey who is traveling in cabin class aboard andrea doria with his wife lillian died from a sudden heart attack while en route back while en route to New York aboard Stockholm. You know, for people with maybe weakened mm-hmm. circulatory systems, that, something like that would be a fucking huge shock. Angelina Grego, a 48-year-old, broke her back after falling into one of Ile-de-France's lifeboat. She was taken to St. Clair's Hospital in New York City, where she lingered in immense pain until her death six mm. months later. Oh, God, poor lady. It almost sounds like she got the worst of it. Yeah. Like, being in pain and everything, and After the ships had separated, as Stockholm crew members were beginning to survey the damage, a miraculous discovery was made. On the top deck of Stockholm, one of the crew came across Linda Morgan, who had been thrown from her bed on Andrea Doria as the two ships collided and landed on the Stockholm's deck, suffering moderate but not life-threatening injuries, making her one of the luckiest people in recorded history. I'd have had a stroke midair and died. <laughs> yeah. yeah, right. Hopefully she didn't even wake up until Probably or realize what yeah. was going on. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. That's wild. During the wait, ABC Radio Network News commentator Edward P. Morgan, based in New York City, broadcast a professional account of the collision, not telling listeners that his 14-year-old daughter had been aboard Andrea Doria and feared dead. So he was reporting on this shit, like, while he's like, my daughter may be one of the people dead. He did not know that Linda, his daughter, was alive and aboard the Stockholm, like, Basically, Andrea Doria spat her out and put her on the Stockholm. That's just ridiculous. The following night, after learning the good news, his emotional broadcast became one of the most memorable in radio news history. Oh, that'd be really interesting to look up. Mm -hmm. Others, unfortunately, were not as lucky as five of Stockholm's crew perished in the collision. Also, well, people up front, I guess, several people died. Yeah. Uh, The next part is called litigation, and there was a lot of it. Several months of hearings were held in New York City in the aftermath of the collision. Prominent maritime attorneys represented both the ship's owner, both the ship's owners. Dozens of attorneys represented victims and families of victims. Officers of both ship lines had testified, including the officers in charge of each ship at the time of the collision, with more scheduled to appear later until an out-of-court settlement was reached and the hearings ended abruptly. Both shipping lines contributed to a settlement fund for for the victims. Each line absorbed its own damages for the Swedish American. Yeah, because like, what are you gonna do? Well, no. If if, if this was modern day America, we know mm. exactly what would happen. Like, no, we're not paying for any of this. Yeah, and they'd they'd be possible. able to get away with it. Mm-hmm. Like, but and then just keep uh, 
about tort reform. Yeah. What do you mean you go on a cruise ship and you don't fear for your life? Yeah, that's normal. It's like blaming it on you, blaming the victim. Right. Like, yeah. yeah. Yes. Which capitalism is very good yeah. at. Yes. Excellent at. For the Swedish. It keeps the whole system alive. Yes. For the Swedish American line, damages were estimated at $2 million at the time, which is almost 20. Well, I was nine, say, yeah. at, as of the writing of this, which is two years ago because we, <laughs> we neglected poor Christian for that long. It's over 19 million today. That makes sense. Half for repairs. Ten to times. St- yeah. Half for repairs to Stockholm's bow and half for lost business during repairs. The Italian line sustained the loss of the Andrea Doria's full value estimated to be $30 million or over $285 million today. Mm. Uh, a U.S. congressional hearing was also held and provided some determinations, notably about the lack of ballasting specified by the builders during the fatal voyage and the resulting lack of seaworthiness of Andrea Doria after the collision. While heavy fog was given as the primary cause of the accident, and it is not disputed that intermittent and heavy fog are both frequent and challenging conditions for mariners in that part of the ocean, those other factors were cited. But it, it doesn't sound... It sounds mostly like design flaws and weather issues. So sure. it doesn't sound like either of the captains were really being blamed. And putting two of those things together is probably never a good thing. It's more the combination is the problem, right? Yeah. yeah. Like the, you can get away with one or the other. Right. But mm-hmm. yeah, combine right. them mm-hmm. and this is, this is what happens. Yeah. The Andrea Doria-Stockholm collision led to several rule changes in the immediate years following the incident to avoid a recurrence. Since this was essentially a radar-assisted collision event in which overuse was made of poorly handled technology, shipping lines were required to improve training on the use of radar equipment. Also, approaching ships were required to make radio contact with one another. Yeah, if that if that just wasn't normal back then, then why would you yeah, expect it, them to do it? It yeah. may not have been. Yeah, exactly. Apparently it wasn't. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It yep. seems obvious now. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> hindsight and all that. Yeah. Uh-huh. It seems like a like that was a duh. Right. <laughs> but this at this time, like communicating between ships like instantly mm-hmm. is probably brand new. Yeah. And People, they well, might... or just like the, hey, we can just use radar. We don't need to, well, we, we, apparently. We grew up with the generation of, like, we know each other's moves and how we're going to maneuver. And... Right, yeah, maybe some of that. And also, like, okay, yes, you can see what someone else is doing on radar, but you can't tell what they're going to do exactly. on radar. If you and talk you to them. And you can't adjust. Right. If you talk to them, then, you, then you're yeah. cooking with gas, as they say. Um. Both ships saw each other on their radar systems and attempted to turn. Unfortunately, one of the radar systems was poorly poorly designed, resulting in the collision. Again, radar was relatively new, having rolled out in 1939. Marine craft today are required to turn starboard or right in a head-on situation. Period. Right. That's good, Both but there's ships. just a there's just a, it's a common a law of the sea. Yep. You turn right. We're not reacting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This is about to happen. We both know what to if do. If you see a ship coming at you head on, you both turn right yep. and you miss each other. Well, hopefully. hopefully. <laughs> at the very least, nobody's going to T-bone anybody's the idea. idea. Yeah. <laughs> the idea is not to have each person react in a different way that's going to be... 
un- results in you continuing uns- to head uncontrollable on Uncontrollable and unsustainable, mm-hmm. most likely. Yes. So. Uncontrollable and unsustainable. That's us, isn't it? That's the, that might as well be like... That's the U.S. slogan. I was just going to Uncontrollable say, and unsustainable. And I'm proud to be uncontrollable and unsustainable oh because God. at least I kind of know I might be free still, kind of. Just <laughs> depending on who I am. Maybe. The Swedish government never held a formal inquiry. Well, I guess it's in uh, U.S. Of, waters. It was already kind of decided. Seemed, I was just going to say, it kind of seemed like somebody else took care of that. Why, why continue to this? We yeah. don't really need to spend that money on it. Especially, there were five victims on the Stockholm. So, as long as their families weren't clamoring back in uh, Sweden to, you know, have it I tried mean, or whatever... Yeah. Then I guess there's really not much use it to it. It seems like everybody in charge realized this for what it was. Yeah. An accident. Everybody stepped up where they needed to, even legally, it sounds like. And kind of, so far, doesn't sound like anybody's getting blamed. It's more just the companies just, are having to eat the cost. Which is fucking mind-blowing. I know. Well, it's still in the 1950s, so. Well, I, I would think that it would have made it worse. Maybe. Possibly. So after nearly two decades of back and forth finger pointing on March 10th, okay, so here we go. 1972, ah. 16 years later, Captain Kalami received a letter from John C. Carruthers, a naval expert with the United States Merchant Marine Academy. Carruthers had at long last definitively concluded that the Stockholm had caused the collision with a, quote, sudden change of course, end quote. This version of events is still taught today at the United States Merchant Marine Academy. Sadly, Captain Kalami in poor health never read the letter. Captain Kalami's daughter found the envelope unopened amongst his possessions at the time of his death the following spring. Captain Kalami's final words were recorded as, quote, are all the passengers safe? Mm. End quote. Guess maybe his mind was going and he kind of reverted yeah. back to the most traumatic thing of his life. Yeah. yeah. Probably. Seems likely. Yeah. So this last heading is called the incredibly dangerous wreck site. Due to the luxurious appointments and initially good condition of the wreck, with the top of the wreck lying initially in 160 feet or 50 meters of water. I mean, because if if we're thinking in the course of time and shipwrecks, this is still fairly new. This, is, this isn't that old. Well, especially when it first sank. It was brand well, new, Well, that's right? what I'm saying. Like, this and is... they're like, there's a bunch of artwork. Remember the artwork yes. aboard? Might be worth and... salvaging. I'm sure some people think thought. Yeah. yeah. And I'm sure there are wrecks that are in way worse shape than this thing. Because it also Probably. wrecked in, seemingly, for the ocean anyway, mm-hmm. shallow water. It's yeah, 160 feet isn't. In the ocean? That's yeah. fucking, that's nothing. Yeah. That's, yeah. I'm not even sure if you get the bends at that depth i have no idea i'm not gonna try only speculating yeah (laughs) so andrea doria has been a frequent target of treasure divers it is commonly referred to as the mount everest of scuba diving Uh uh-oh that's no good yeah (laughs) that's no good the comparison to mount everest originated after a july 1983 dive on andrea doria by captain alvin golden during a cbs news televised interview of the divers following their return from a dive expedition to the wreck aboard the rv wahoo the depth water temperature and currents combined to put the wreck beyond the scope of recreational diving okay so even though it's not that deep, there's still some other stuff, other variables I'm make sure. it a little harder. The skills and equipment required to successfully execute this dive, 
such as use of mixed gases. Oh, and stage decompression. Okay, so bends are apparently a thing there. Put it in the realm of only the most experienced technical divers. I keep wanting to say drivers. Divers. Adam Diver. Years of underwater currents, among other factors, have taken their toll on the wreck. After years of removal of artifacts by divers, little of value was thought to remain. Significant artifacts recovered include the statue of Genoese Admiral oh, Andrea yeah, Doria. Right? Yeah, no mm-hmm. kidding. For whom the ship was named. Yeah, that is something you'd want. Right? From that. It was removed from the first class lounge, having been cut off at the ankles to accomplish this. Examples of the ship's china have long been considered valuable mementos of diving the wreck. The ship's bell is normally considered to be the prize of a wreck. The ship, this ship carried three bells, one bell located on the bridge and two much larger ceremonial bells located on the fore and aft decks. The ship's stern bell was retrieved in the late 1980s by a team of divers led by Bill Nagel. On the 26th of June 2010, a diver from New Jersey, Carl Bayer, diving from the Narragansett, right? Is that uh, Rhode Island, Narragansett? Narragansett. Something. Rhode Island base dive boat explorer, owned by Captain Dave Sutton, discovered the bridge bell lying on the bottom at 73 meters or 241 feet. He recovered it with assistance. Well, yeah, (laughs) I don't think so. From Ernie Rookie, also from New Jersey. The bell, 410 millimeters or 16 inches tall. That's not that tall. And weighing 33.3 kilograms or 73 and a half pounds. That's that, I was just going to say, that's heavy. And you're trying to yeah. dig it out of water? Yeah. Good was luck with possibly that. used to signal fog on the night of the collision. Yeah. 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 You're not getting that out of the water on your own. Well, the forward bell apparently remains undiscovered. Oh. Hmm. Artifact recovery on Andrea Doria has resulted in additional loss of life. Yeah. Yeah. That doesn't surprise that's surprising. Me. At least... 22 scuba divers have lost their lives My diving God, on the wreck. On this one wreck? Yes. That's Jesus. bonkers. That's way too many. That right? is, I yes. thought you were going to say like, like one two. or two. Yeah. Mm-mm. Like one or two, I'd be like, people. okay, like that's probably going to happen. 22 you know? people. Jesus Christ. And diving conditions at the wreck site are considered very treacherous. Well, like, like, it's like I said, like it's for if you're going to dive there, you have to be of like the highest technical ability and then you're still risking it just from chance yeah jesus strong currents and heavy sediment that can reduce visibility to zero pose serious serious hazards to diving this site dr robert ballard the man responsible for locating the wrecks of the ocean liner rms titanic the german battleship bismarck and the american aircraft carrier yorktown and torpedo boat pt-109 who visited the site in a U.S. Navy submersible in 1995, reported that thick fishing, fishing nets draped the hull. An invisible web of thin fishing lines, which can easily snag scuba gear, provides more danger. Furthermore, the wreck is slowly collapsing. Mm. The top of the wreck is now at 58 meters or 190 feet, and many of the passageways have begun to collapse. Please don't dive the Andrea Doria. She clearly doesn't like visitors. And that, my friends, wow. was the story of the sinking of the Andrea Doria. Well done, Christian. Thank you for waiting two years. Two years. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah, but no, you're not the only one. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, you are not the only one. We've done that to several other people at this point. My goodness. My goodness. That's a wild. a crazy story. And that is wild. Yeah. Of, uh, man. 
that part that part of the Atlantic, like right outside of like the New York Boston area. Oh like yeah, that's fucking the Northeast Atlantic. It's treacherous shit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It really is. Yeah. That that's kind of why a lot of things got settled. You know, a little farther south, be- below that, and then yeah. people made their way up. Yeah, some people did try to settle. Mm-hmm. Most did not well, succeed. Well, the pilgrims landed at Plymouth they did. Rock. Yeah, right? landed probably crash landed <laughs> into that motherfucker. You know, we we don't know how many people lost their lives yeah. on that one. But uh, yeah, I'm uh never going to be a sailor. Yeah. Oh no, 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 no. Like not even like mm, doesn't no, no, even no. cross my mind. Mm-mm. Like nope, Mm-mm. I'm gonna leave that to somebody else. Yes. Anybody else, (laughs) frankly, yes. Bye bye. (laughs) Not me. I'm not signing up for the I'm going to transport tourists uh, from Italy to New York City across the Atlantic Ocean. Um, That's not a. That's not an elective. Not your assignment. (laughs) I'm not even gonna. I'm not even gonna play a video game. Right. (laughs) Where that's the objective. Uh huh. I don't want any part of it. No, I don't. I don't want any part of any ocean beyond Mm -hmm. like 20 feet. I, I don't even want to get that far. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I've, I've talked about that one time where I was trying to get out to catch like a yeah. certain wave mm-hmm. and got really fucking tired. And thank yeah. God, like I still had my, the only thing I can think of was like, if I didn't have the bodyboard with oh, me. Oh, uh, to stay like, afloat. Yeah. Like I would probably fucking drown. Yeah. I was like, cause I'm tired. Yeah. And you get, you literally just get pounded by waves. Right. Mm-hmm. Which makes you even more tired. Mm-hmm. So you keep saying tired and I slept like three hours last night and I was like, oh, tired. Was that because of tired? Me? No, it was not because of you. <laughs> it's okay. Sometimes it is, but it was not. No, you were, you were perfectly yes. sound asleep. Very good. All very cute. Yes. You're well, fine. uh, game one. <laughs> not the, the Andreatoria. <laughs> of the, yeah, there was only, that was game 101. <laughs> yeah, the Andrea Doria, unfortunately. Yeah. Game one of the 2022 Stanley Cup playoffs is about to take place, and it starts with... The Carolina Hurricanes versus, versus the Bostonian Bruins. There you go. <laughs> they have although, good chowder. Although most know them as Boston. <laughs> yes, I was just kidding. <laughs> I know. Do they play at TD Bank North? Yes, still. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was built in, like, what, like, 98 or 99? Uh, I don't know. Yeah. It's it's what it's what, re, uh, it's what replaced the Boston Garden. Yes. Okay. They have a very handy tea station, very, subway station, just in there. Very good. So, a lot of lot. It'll be seeing a lot. Good of, knowledge. Well, good knowledge if you're going to games three and four. <laughs> okay, so it's in it, Carolina's got home ice. Okay. Yes. Yes. Gotcha. So the the everything is happening like literally like a mile and a half away yeah. from us right now. <laughs> so we were we will cut out. Yes. But this was uh It was a great script, Christian. Thank you. Worth the wait for us. It's yes. Not for poor Christians like motherfuckers. Why couldn't it's, you have gotten to this so much earlier? At this point, after having read it, it's he's like it's it's he's like it's definitely not worth the wait. <laughs> <laughs> oh, are of yes. us doing it? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> the worth it only goes one <laughs> yes. way, yeah. We're sorry. Yes, it goes goes with us. Exactly. We, mean, we, mean, we, we we thought mean, it was worth it. We mean thank you, as in like either of us, neither of us got a script together. That's right. That's right. And now we're a week ahead, and we're gonna, you know, we're gonna blow that lead right away. Almost, I know. It almost That's... sounds like he's like trying to get the doorknob. Yes, Demetrius. Demetrius. So that was the. <laughs> he might be. I think he is. That was the sinking <laughs> of the Andrea Doria. Yes. Part two. Yes. 
This has been another episode of All Bad Things Pod. All Bad Things Podcast. <laughs> what was that? You never did that before. I don't know. I'm focusing on something else. Okay. That was another episode. <laughs> anyway, I'm David. <laughs> I'm Rachel. We'll see you next week. Will we? Yeah. Will we? Maybe. <laughs> <laughs>